Hi, everybody. I'm Paul Wilkie. And I'm David Oro. And you're listening to The Embargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. There's always something to talk about and a point to make. And we're going to do it when we want, which is usually every other week. Whether it's tech, business, sports, music, or your mama, we're going to cover it. And it all comes from the point of view of public relations, reputation, and communications. We are all about punching stodgy PR in the face. That's right. So sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Today is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. It's the Thursday before Thanksgiving, Paul. What's up, dude? How are you? Oh, I'm good. It's been a bumpy few weeks. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, it's sort of that holiday push that's happening. I'm coming your way, dude. I'm taking our airstream. Yeah, and we're going to go right past you. We're going to go to San Diego. I'll meet you down in San Diego. I got no qualms with that. So here, here's how it happened. The family didn't really have any plans, and I said, let's just go someplace. And San Diego was the pick. But in order for me to go, I was like, all right, all of us are going to cross a land border. So we're going to go to Mexico for a day and have a kid, you know, feel that, trans- that, that shock of going to America to another country. <laughs> Go in there and fart around, see what happens, come back in, hopefully safely. So we'll do that. We did, I think we recorded our last uh, episode two weeks ago, and, and a lot has happened since then. You know, the last <laughs> topic was our last topic was Elon Musk, and he's still he's still doing stuff. I mean, you know, I think it, you know it's Thursday. We're taping today. I know he's got the end of day ultimatum: either uh, either hunker down or leave the company. So, oh, I thought it was only like an eight hour ultimatum. Today's the day. I thought it was yesterday. Oh no, like news on him every day. So <laughs> then we had the election that's still happening. Crypto blew up, right? You know, and then you get the holidays. Then there's inflation that's still happening. My Starbucks coffee is still out of hand prices. So, but we have a guest today to help us do all this, right, Paul? I have a guest today. I'm really excited about this one. We present to you guys all today the inimitable James McGuire, who's uh, editor in chief of eWeek. He's been recording. He's been reporting on tech for more than 15 years. And he has a writing life outside of tech as well, having authored books on the National Spelling Bee, shameless plug here, book titled American Bee, and and Ed Sullivan, uh, book plug number two, Impresario, The Life and Times of Ed Sullivan. But most importantly, um, James is known best known as the possible accomplice for my rental car being broken into a few months back. Wait, wait, uh, wait, Paul. So first of all, welcome James here, right? <laughs> How are you doing? Gentlemen, hello to you and, and thanks for inviting me. And it's, you know, it's it's good to be here on the Thursday before Thanksgiving. Let's 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 rock and roll. Right on. Paul, I heard this story. You gotta tell this story. And I urge you to tell this story. I remember this. This was this was I saw that this was an unfortunate day, but Paul, you go ahead. Yeah. So, so a few months back, uh, I was, I was in Oakland for uh, my son's graduation and I, I took time to visit my good friend, James. And we met for, uh, we met for coffee in downtown Oakland, a beautiful coffee shop. And uh, I had my rental car. I pulled in, James and I went inside for maybe three minutes. Is that, is that right, James? It was fast. It was fast. And then while we were in there between when we, when I parked, went in, came out, and I've got, I'll, I'll throw the pictures on screen. Uh, they, you know, a car came by, swoop it, swooped in, uh, broke the, the rear, the rear glass, took out my suitcase and a couple other things and then pulled away. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. It's just nuts. So, Bummer. so Dave, Bummer. I don't blame you, but I, I can't rule out you being an accomplice. I've made an enormous profit from, from sale of that, you know, that small suitcase. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, you know, you, this is the lesson here, Paul. Never meet with a journalist unless you're with the client. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a very Probably good, good idea. Yeah, that's, that's what happened, dude. Just try to meet him on the side. It's not going to happen, man. You need to work there. So those guys were professionals. <laughs> I think, you know, from, from looking at the video myself, I think they actually had cased it ahead of time. I don't think they just sort of walked up. They, I think it was, there was probably a dude walking up and down the streets looking for cars and he, and he saw some, you know, a possible shot and like, you know, boom, they were ready on that one. To, to bring us back into the tech world, I had, a, I had an Apple AirTag in the suitcase. Mm-hmm. And as as I was going to take the car back to the airport to get a new car, I remembered that I had the AirTag. So I, I opened it up on my phone and it was actually near where I was at the time and pumped up on adrenaline and stupidity. I decided, oh, I'll just go drive by and see what I'm dealing with. Oh, no. Yeah, it was it was it was it wasn't in a great part of town. And I got there. I pulled in front of the house where it was. And I realized this is a really bad idea. Nothing, <laughs> right. nothing good can come out of it. And I just turned tail and made it back to the airport. Yeah, it's probably, probably a, a really good idea. Just get out of there. So listen, it's always great having a tech editor in our presence. So let's start by asking James, what the hell are you doing here? well i you know in a sense what am i doing on this show my my good friend paul invited me i'm happy to be here chatting with you guys i mean who knows what i'm doing here in in what at what level do you mean that question every level yeah this this is not a serious show although you know know, as long as we're going going out you know way off the deep end on tangents I love that there's, this is too deep. It's like, there's, there's systems that interlock with systems out there. Like, so you look at a molecule, there's atoms and molecules and they're constantly, you know, rotating around each other. I'm not sure which one is inside which, but there's millions of those inside of say, even the desk, this microphone, whatever. Those are inside say a house, the house is part of a country. The country is part of a world. It's like systems within systems within systems. Like where does it all end? It's like, that's pretty wild. So I don't know what I'm doing here, but I, somehow, somehow I'm involved with probably 16 or 18 different interlocking systems all at one time. Spoken like a true tech editor, right? That, that's, how, <laughs> that's how that works right there. <laughs> James, tell, tell us about your history. Um, I've I got a couple of questions here. And Paul and I talked about this earlier today. Your history, just a little bit about you so the listeners who don't normally work with you, because not everybody who listens to us is in tech. Sure. And then, and then let's talk about the tech industry, because, you know, as we started this show, there's some things been going on mm-hmm. lately in the tech industry and wanted to get your your view on that and what because we're experiencing experiencing things we haven't seen in over a decade layoffs lower valuations and definitely uncertainty mm-hmm. can you uh, introduce yourself and kind of talk about that sure so i was a freelance writer for a bunch of times actually earlier in my career I was an audio engineer i worked in a recording studio as an engineer i did sound for uh uh, a lot of corporate stuff, but I also mixed music at the same time. So that was fantastic. But I always really wanted to be a writer. And um, I ended up working as a freelance writer for a number, like, number of years. And finally, one of the people who I freelanced for one of the publications said, would you like to be an editor? And I thought, wow, an editor. Um, that sounds pretty wild. So that happened in 2006. I became editor of a, a publication called datamation.com, which covers similar to what I'm, I'm covering now. So 
I was editor of Datamation for a long time, and now I've I've switched over to eWeek, and I've been you know, editor of eWeek for a, a while. And so, you know, we cover the wild, crazy world of enterprise IT, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, data analytics, edge computing, digital transformation. It's a lot to keep up with. I really almost sometimes feel like I can't keep up with it, even though I cover it day in and day out. Um, that's pretty much my humble life. So the, the connection between the music. Yeah, right. And cloud computing. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, there's, there is a connection there. It's kind of funny. You wouldn't think there would be one. But I mean, music is actually sort of architectural and almost mathematical in its own way. I mean, there's this mathematical relationships between the tones and the way a melody is shaped, the way the harmonies are shaped. And of course, cloud computing is, is, is full of uh, mathematical and conceptual relationships. Yeah. So it's a bit of a far-fetched connection, but I, I, they, they both fall into the category called interesting things that humans do. So since 2006, that's how long you've probably been watching the sector or been doing it more than that? No, I, I, I started in Datamation as an editor in 2006. I've been a tech editor ever since 2006, believe it or not. And so, I mean, I, for example, I've covered cloud computing from its very beginning. If we get in our time travel machine and go back to the, uh, I think it was 2007 or eight, I was at an interrupt show, uh, trade show in New York City. And all these big companies had big booths and, you know, IBM and Microsoft had big shiny booths. And off to the side, there was this little funky booth made out of wood with like one guy at it. And there was this company called Amazon Web Services. And yeah. no one was paying them any attention. I thought, you know what the heck? No one's there. I'll go over and chat with them. And I'd heard about the whole bookstore online, Amazon. And so, so Amazon Web Services is uh, part of Amazon. It's essentially a business that allows uh, developers and enterprise customers to gain access to Amazon's infrastructure uh, via API. Um, they're basically, they're very uh, small number of core web services. We have uh, basically storage in the cloud, which is our S3 offering. We have compute in the cloud, which is our EC2 offering. We have a simple database, which is a database for unstructured data. Uh, we have a queuing service, and we have billing and metering services. And that's basically it. So the very primitive building blocks for uh, developing uh, your business in the cloud. Um, we've been around for uh, since uh, 2002. We've recently launched uh, a lot of our more recent web services in the last uh, couple of years, EC2 in particular. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of traction. Um, historically, our business has been built on startups uh, who were trying to avoid um, upfront uh, investment in infrastructure. And we're able to um, now offer that to enterprises. Uh, and we're very interested in uh, establishing relationships with enterprises and their uh, systems integrator partners and looking at ways to uh, work together. So uh, contact us. We'd love to, uh, love to talk. It was sort of an historical document that day that I, that I had from that day. So it's been really fascinating to be able to watch cloud computing to grow from its infancy to where it is today. Really pretty wild. That's that's a pretty good story, right? Just because I know when you're at a trade show, I walk floors, uh, conference goers walk floors, and editors walk floors. And as sure. an editor, you're looking for something new. Totally. And in, the, in these back corners, you, you don't know which company is going to come out of nowhere. And that AWS um, cloud ser AWS service probably could have gone nowhere, and you probably that video would have meant nothing. Well, right. exactly. And at the time, there was really very little indication that it was going to go any, anywhere. I, I had barely heard of them, but they were anything but a big deal. And it could have flamed out like any other idea. But of course, 
it was really an idea whose time had come. Yeah. James, is there, is there any, um, and, and we want, we're going to touch on AI in a little bit, but, you know, in your time as editor and reporter in tech, is there a technology that you saw that didn't take off that you're like, huh, I really, I, I really thought that was going to go somewhere? Huh, interesting. One that, 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 that didn't take off. You know, it's funny. It's, it's almost like, I, I would say, I would say no, because I can't think of one. It's, it's funny. I think sometimes like, Technology and technology solutions are sort of like a a smoker who wants to give up smoking, and so he takes up these little gum, chewable gum things. But then the truth is, he can't get up the cigarettes either. So now he's got chewable gum and cigarettes, and he's got the, like the flavored potato chips. So he never ends up getting rid of any of them. It seems like almost everything. I'm sure there's probably a few obsolete things we hardly know about. But I just think about it mainframes for goodness sakes are still making a lot of money ibm makes quite a bit of money probably some of the other ibm uh, the other sellers also make money selling mainframes to this year in the year 2022 so the way the tech world is we need it all i mean it's you know it, it, all of it is devoured go figure yeah well i mean let's let's stick with the tech world for now we're seeing a lot of a lot of things right now that we haven't seen, you know, previously, you know, layoffs, only some of these things we have seen, layoffs, lower valuations, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. What's your take on what we're seeing right now? I've sort of viewed it a couple different levels. One, there's the economy itself, which is, I think, I, I believe all the hype when they said it said for a recession, hopefully it won't be too bad a one. And I mean, there has been a lot of free money, you know, thrown out there. So it's kind of we have to deal with you know, transitioning from all that free money to back to reality. That's and who knows how hard that's going to be. But if I look just at the tech sector, I would say some of those valuations were, were pre-inflated. So that the fact that they're coming down is not that big a deal. I mean, not so good for the stockholders, but it, but in reality, the, the larger market, it's not so big a deal. It doesn't mean that some of those companies won't do great. And. I'm tempted really to take the whole thing somewhat with a grain of salt, because if you look at the markets, look at, for example, the, the cloud and AI markets, like it's, they're, they're both growing to something like anywhere between 15 to 30 to 35% a year. Uh, if you look at the projected growth for the cloud market between now and the year 2030, in the year 2030, it's, it's expected to hit $1.6 trillion a year. Artificial intelligence is growing something like 38% a year. It's expected to hit 1.8 trillion by the year 2030. So combine that together, that's $3.4 trillion. If any of those forecasts were even somewhat close. So I see this as kind of a bump in the road. So, so technology is, is really the monster that is eating everything. And I don't expect it to seriously slow down. It's having a bump in the road now, sure. But technology is headed ever higher and ever bigger. I'm not, knock on wood, really worried about the tech market. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a tweet, a LinkedIn post somewhere. Somebody interviewed one of the VCs. And I think it was actually a news reporter asking about this market. People want perspective right now um, of what's happening, particularly journalists. Mm -hmm. And uh, a VC said, everything that happened in the last 13 years in terms of this hyper cycle of growth and technology being on top and never coming down was an anomaly for that long. This is actually normal. Right? right, like you do go through cycles of downturns and layoffs and rebirths and restructurings and things of that nature. Right, right. So, and to a lot of people, particularly if they're 13 years in their career, if they started in 2007 or 2008, nine, they saw cloud computing explode. They saw um, mobile apps explode. They saw right, right. 
social media explode. <laughs> like everything in tech was, everything is awesome. Like the Lego movie, right? You know? Yeah. And this is, this is, this is different. I, I'll tell you from, from our end, we had a discussion on a Slack channel with what I call PR foo, public relations, friends of Oro. <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, we have the same thing. It's like, we're here. We've got our businesses. We're, we're doing well. It's, but it's a little shady. Nobody's lost any clients. We're not maybe getting as many clients, but nobody knows for sure. But I hear that across the business sector. I'm yeah, pause yeah. hiring. I'm going to invest less. I'm going to cut here. I, I, it's a macro environment thing rather than a tech thing, I think. Yeah, it is, it is macro. It's a, there's certainly, there's no doubt, there's an overall mood out there of, of concern. There's, there's storm clouds gathering. There's just no way around that. Um, Paul, what, what, what's your take on this? You see, how, how serious is this whole madness? I mean, so much of it's knee-jerk. And, and you know, I, I think David and I have talked about, and James, you and I have talked about this. I'm seeing with potential clients, clients we've been working with, particularly IPO clients, you know, everyone's sort of taking a, you know, let's let's take a wait and see approach to see what 2023 brings. Mm -hmm. Now, two months ago, I would have said, okay, I think maybe the floodgates will open in January. I am not that optimistic. Um, I right. think I think people are going to be more wait and see throughout Q1. I, I would I would agree for sure. 2023 is going to have a big question mark hanging over it, far far beyond January, as I see it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, James. Are, what are you covering these days? Are you still covering mm -hmm. emerging technologies, data center technologies? I'll tell you this. I'll give you one thing. Not too many journalists or media outlets are covering any old school technologies today. Yeah. Racks of servers, networking gear, pretty tough to talk about with anybody. Uh, you know, there's, you an, there's an irony about that. I, I agree that that's very much the way it is. And I... Speaking of watching cloud grow up, is that I would I, I would have thought back in 2010 that, you know, by 10 years from now, the data center would be totally gone. But in fact, the data center is actually very much alive here in 2022. They're, they're still talking about it fading it, it not growing market share, but it's it's still, you know, it's still doing quite well. And people take the data center very seriously. It's part of an overall ecosystem. So. Data centers alive and 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 kicking. Um, I, I'd say the data center is sort of a bigger ecosystem now, of course, with cloud. And but in terms of what I'm covering, it is a lot of stuff I've been covering, but it's just bigger and more complicated and bolder. It's it's cloud, of course. Data is like is everything. Everyone's just like no one makes a move without looking at the metrics, or at least that's what they say. Um, artificial intelligence, which is, I think, a lot of companies are confused about. They need they know they need to get on board, but they're and they know they need to spend money on it. And a lot of companies have spent money on it, but in many times, artificial intelligence has turned out to be an expensive science experiment for, experiment for them. Like it hasn't really panned out, uh, but that's, it's getting bigger and more important. I think it, it's, it's zooming forward and will shape and reshape practically every, every aspect of enterprise IT, not to mention the rest of culture and society and human life. Um, Internet of Things and edge computing, all those little devices out there from your coffee pot to the traffic light and it's all hooked together in the internet and someone's monitoring it and someone's getting data from it and someone is crunching that data. Very big world, edge computing, that's a very big world and it ties into cloud. Uh, and then there's that amorphous world known as digital transformation, which sometimes I think that word doesn't mean anything at all. In essence, it means using the technology to streamline our world, but haven't we been doing that since about 1995 anyways? So and, and didn't COVID do it for us? 
Well, COVID certainly accelerated digital transformation in a very big way. And I think all that COVID chain, all that COVID effect on technology would have happened anyways. It might have happened like 2025, 2026, but we just scooted everything up a few years because of COVID. Um, I don't know. Tech to me feels like very omnipresent, maybe because I cover it, but I think it's just out there in, in every aspect of human life at this point. Uh, okay. So, James, so it, it is the end of the year. Right. Uh, predictions come through. Mm-hmm. During this time frame, because mm-hmm. it's a fun thing to do, it gets clicks. And sure, right. Easy thing to write about. I've been thinking about this, and so, you know, in twenty in two thousand, Bluetooth was coming out, wireless and WAP and things of that nature. And then there was cloud and social and mm-hmm. and um, mobile apps. I'm having a hard time right now finding, out, getting, figuring out what's next. What's going to be the next driver? the technology industry right AI uses a lot of all of that i don't know if it's there yet people are talking quantum computing but that's years away right what what are you what are you seeing that's going to be a big driver for this yeah i i I talk about two things one is actually a spending picture which i think i'm going to be interesting to it's going to be interesting to watch this the other is feels like 2022 and this will continue in 2023 has been the era of edge computing iot internet of things it's not precisely new but it has what i would call it has had a, a quiet explosion this past year whereas all those interconnected devices is distributed computing there's so much data from it and we're now able to uh handle that data at the edge as opposed to need, needing to send the data back to the data center to crunch it and get value from it so Internet of Things is, is having its own 15 minutes of fame. It's really exploding. On the spending piece, I think it's interesting in that, obviously, as we know, there's always storm clouds over the horizon in terms of tech and, and recession and everything. What I'm watching is, is that going to really affect tech spending or is it only going to slow down the rate of growth? It's not going to grow quite as fast as it did this year. My sense would be it'll continue to grow in 23, spending will, but it won't grow quite as quickly. We won't actually have a contraction. It's like the, the tech monster just keeps growing and growing. It's just, it's just a question of how fast is it growing? Is it growing a little fast? Or is it growing like very fast? And if I had to make a guess, I would think, you know, 23 would be probably a, a little fast in terms of tech growth. Well, listen, let's, um, let's talk about eWeek a little bit. In, in your time there, how have you put your stamp on, uh, on it editorially? What, what, what are you seeing? What have you done that, you, that, you, that you're proud of or that, that, that's, that, that's yours? A couple things. One is, uh, obviously, eWeek has a long legacy. I mean, it goes back years and years, and it's very well known in the industry. And so when I came on board, I, f- I felt this pressure to live up to the quality of that. I mean, I need to, like, you know, bring my A game to, to, to run eWeek. And so I've really endeavored to do, sim- just, you know, simply put the best job I can do and then and make sure that everything that goes out the door is stamped with quality. I mean, it's kind of a basic thing, but it's an important thing. It sort of keeps me, keeps me busy, keeps me up at night. The other thing that I've taken particular pleasure with with eWeek is I do my own weekly video podcast on Fridays. I usually record two two experts, two different sessions. Sometimes it'll be a panel. I've got some big panels coming up in December. I can talk about that, but uh, it's really interesting. So I I end up talking with two tech experts every single week. It brings the expert, it brings the voices of those experts directly into the site, which I think gives the site a certain immediacy. I love it for that. Uh, and it's also the greatest education. I actually get to talk to pe- two people from the C-suite of major companies every week. And I learn so much having a you know 20 minute, 30 minute conversation with them far more than I would ever get by reading. And you know I sort of get the frontline picture like what's confusing, what's really working, 
What are the what are they what are they hearing from their own clients? What are their clients confused and upset about? What are their clients you know excited about? Who's spending money on what? Uh, and all that filters down to the pages of eWeek, but it's also for me. I feel privileged in that it's the, it's the greatest education I could ever get. It's really a ringside seat to what's happening in enterprise IT these days. I think one of the things that I, that I like that, that, that I've seen you do um, is you, you actually bring more video content into, you know, into eWeek. And that's, I know that's something that you're passionate about. And, and we share that passion. We're all here today. Right. Where do you see the interest in sort of the, the written word and the visual word and sort of where, where, where you're taking things with eWeek? Yeah, there's. I think there's an irony in, in that in terms of um, obviously video is growing and a lot of users want to consume their media through video. But I, I see this sort of resiliency of text, believe it or not, like like like, you know, users, professional users want to be able to scan information quickly and you can still do that like really quickly with text. So, you know, perhaps the ideal format is a video and cut into digestible chunks but also interspersed with text that is quickly span, uh, you know, scannable. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about uh, video that I think has more, more potential than I fully worked out is the concept of really having a video event as an interactive event where, you know, a couple experts, three, four, five, who knows, experts are talking and there's an audience there. I know that's, that's I'm gonna use a dirty word. It's actually sometimes a webinar and there's there's no word there's no word that is more boring in English language. Like if I have trouble sleeping at night, I usually say the word webinar three times and drink some warm milk and it puts me to sleep. So I don't want to use the word webinar. I'm going to call it a live video webcast with an interactive audience. And I think that has a lot of potential. It becomes it becomes an event where you know people are actually talking to each other. It's almost like a form of social media. Let's all talk to each other. Let's let's share our expertise in real time. You know, one on one. It's something that I would like to develop more of in, in 2023. You know that 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 juxtaposition of uh, actually that relation of webinar and that live media inter what did you call it live media? I, I call it a live video webcast yeah we call that in pr that that exercise you just did position right. <laughs> the, the whole world is about positioning and branding <laughs> yeah. the world goes amazing. nowhere without branding you know we're taking a page out of the sitcom world this 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 show was taped before a live studio audience yeah right <laughs> <laughs> james that, that, you know, that, that's interesting because you know what? I never really thought about it because a webinar is actually a boring name for that. It's and a terrible, terrible name. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no one wants to go to a webinar. So, James, you know, we, the PR industry does not exist without journalists and editors like you. So, so you know, you and I had an interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago about how PR folks curry favor with you. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing? What connects? Yeah, that's a that's always a. An interesting question it could be a tough question. I guess in terms of the PR folks, sometimes I wish they would fully know. There's there's one thing that that guides me, and that's I am bound by the readers. I've got to I've got to please the readers. I've got to inform the readers. The readers are confused. They need to educate educate them. So when PR people reach out to me, I, I'm sort of wondering, do they fully understand that? Are, are they ready to help me help the readers? If they're ready to do that, I'm more willing to work with them. Um, so sometimes I think that obviously, you know, journalists and PR folks have a very close symbiotic relationship. They, one can't totally live without the other. They, they need each other. There is a certain extent, there is a mismatch that's part of the relationship in that I want those PR folks to be reaching out to me all the time, but because I, I serve the reader, they of course 
naturally are serving their client and their client needs to sell stuff to stay in business. So their focus is to help someone sell. My focus is to help some people learn. And so, hmm, how do we get together? So I would say to any PR person, you know, to, who wants to best reach an editor, whether it's me or anyone, tell them, you know, how your pitch is going to inform and delight and educate and entertain your readers. If, if, if someone gives me that on, on a silver platter, well, they have my attention. Um, a few sort of sub points beyond that. I find it amazing sometimes that I get these pitches that are, they'll be 800 words, they'll be 1200 words, like probably never in, in the history of humanity has as a, as a journalist read 1200 words of a PR pitch. I mean, <laughs> I, I scan them and maybe I read, you know, like 20 words. I'm looking, I guess I'm doing sort of a, a quick scan of that. Are, are those 15, 20 keywords in there or not? And I'm not sure what the rest of the 800 words are doing. I'm going to probably ignore them because I can't read 800 words. I mean, if you actually sent me like 20 words, I'd be shocked. And I'm like, oh, goodness, they sent me 20 words. I think I'm going to read all 20 of them because this person has actually chosen the words carefully. Um, you might even give me your pitch in your subject line. Some people do that. I mean, tell me, because obviously I even get I get so many emails, I can't, I can't even open every last one of them because I would do nothing but open emails. But what if you gave me your pitch as much as you could in the actual subject line? Um, I love that. And I guess also careful about over pitching. There was there was one guy recently who pitched me every single day. And I finally, I mean, I, I almost didn't want to take the time to say to him, like, oh, please don't. I just ignore his emails. Finally, after getting, you know, one pitch a day for him for about 365 days a year, I had to email it back and go, you know, you don't probably need to send me an email every single day. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. So it's like, are you, are you really pitching someone every single day? You probably don't want to do that. And then there's sort of an intangible, and I had, it's hard to put this one in words because there are some PR people that tend to be able to have a rapport with me, and they probably have a rapport with many editors. They simply are professional. And like, gosh, what does it mean to be professional as opposed to someone who's more amateurish? Maybe they're not quite as, you know, haven't been around as long. And like, for example, if you tell me your name in the first sentence, hi, my name is Dave Smith, and I'm doing, I realize, oh, goodness, you never need to tell me your name. It's down there in the subject line. Why are you introducing yourself by, by, with your name? Like, really? You get that? And then, and, then, and then you have a Gmail address as kind of your return email address? Like, hmm, okay. That's a little bit suspect. Like, is there not even a, you're not actually even working for a company that gives you an email address? You know, it's, it is that intangible. Can you be professional? And can you realize that we need each other? But if you're trying to over pitch to me, that can be kind of a problem. It actually backfires. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll be organizing an event with the PR person and, you know, it'll be next Thursday and we'll be going back and forth about what time of day or whatever. And then even as we're going back and forth, the person will pitch me like, oh, well, I know we're doing this for next Thursday, but also we'll let you know about this event that's happening tomorrow. And I realize, uh-oh, we're still trying to organize next Thursday and you're giving more pitches. Like, could you keep it on one pitch, please, at least? Because it's like, yeah. you're confusing me by over-pitching me. Like, I know you want to pitch constantly, but like, realize I am a human being with only a certain amount of bandwidth. So I guess if I boil down all that verbiage, I would say you can help yourself by offering me some sort of unusual angle or valuable angle. Because when I decide to cover something, the readers are thinking, hmm, why is this being covered? And so if it's like, you know, an upgrade of a product that of which there's eight other products like it out there, and it's just a single, a single upgrade that doesn't really do much. If I cover that, the readers are wondering, hmm, why are they bothering to focus on this? This has like no significance whatsoever. And so I have to, what I cover has to have some real significance to the reader. So you as a PR person, I hope you'd ask yourself, how can I present this 
So it, it really does actually have real true significance to readers. That's tougher to, to that's easier said than done, I know, because the, the company that feeds you might not be doing anything significant right at the moment. So your job is a tough one. Um, but those are some thoughts. There's, there's some good common sense in there. Yeah. James, yeah. what you don't see please, is the client coming in saying, here, let me review your pitch. Oh, oh God, no, really? Seriously? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, oh, it's, called they, client, it's called client service, James. Oh, and, I see. Are and, they, they're helping write the pitch. No, they want to see that you understand their business. I see. They want to see that you're getting the key messages across. Right. So they, they want all 600 words because you left out that one message about back in 1978, the owner had lunch with a farmer and that enabled him to have a, yeah. So you got to put that in there. Because this is the embargo and we punch stodgy PR in the face all the time. Sure. I let the client have their day and I'll send a different pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and the and pitch. And that's, that's, that's the difference between senior PR folks and, and ones that are just following orders. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the client will want, wants their message to get across. Right. I want to get coverage. Right. In order for me to get coverage, I need to understand what the editor is thinking. The editor is thinking about his readers in a new, unique angle and story. Yep. Trying to explain that to a client a hundred times over, it's not going to be about you. There's got to be some emotion. There's got to be tension. There's got to be change. There's got to be controversy. Yep. You have to have that in your pitch and in your story. Get ready to talk about it so we can get these people on. The phone. You, you got it. You, you know the answer, David. Well, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so so, so the, the, the client, if, if only we could do this without the clients, it would all be pretty perfect. Well, what, you're, what, you, see, yeah, <laughs> what you see are PR people doing, like Paul said, taking orders or their junior and like, you know, they leave this to uh, junior folks, and, and a good a good PR team would see that somebody's there supposed to to help with those angles. You know, you talked about the brevity of the pitches, the first right. twenty minutes. Right. My best pitch was a mistake. Oh, okay. It was super so, short, but it was it was a mistake. Well, I had the pitch; it was short, like there, but the subject line I just put. I wanted to fill in the subject line, so I just put in the letter X. I was going to get back to it. Okay. I did not get back to it, and I just sent the damn pitch. Oh no! And the, sub <laughs> the subject line was X. The, su the, the subject line was X. Okay. And I got all kinds of responses. What do you, you know, talking about? And then I went on Twitter. Um, Adam Lashinsky at Fortune was like, "Hey, did anybody else get a pitch about X?" <laughs> <laughs> what was that all about? No, it really, like, it really resonated. It resonated. <laughs> That's nice. I, I like that technique. Yeah, and I was like, huh, maybe, maybe I'll do why next time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the misnomers in our industry is that you know we always talk about our clients, but the but the real the real heart of it is our clients are are on two sides of the fence. There are clients, you know, and our and journalists, which we have to view as clients as well. Right. We have to. Right. And I think a lot of a lot of PR people don't necessarily do that, but our clients don't see that at all. They, they don't see that the, they don't see the PR editor relationship as they don't understand that world. I mean, a lot don't, but I think a lot don't, you know, a, a lot of them don't see us as middlemen. And, you know, I think, I think good PR firms, good PR professionals try to get that balance of recognizing that two of our core audiences, two of our, two of the stakeholders that we serve are our clients and journalists, yeah. almost equal. And to some extent, 
journalists even more so because we have to keep going back to that well. Hopefully right. not a new pitch every day. Right. You know, we, we know that once the story is over with our client, we still have to work with you. We still have to work with the folks at, at other publications. Right. And, and our reputation rides on that. Go I'll ahead, give you an example. I picked up a client recently. They came in. They had a funding announcement. They had like three weeks to do it. It was way before a show. Way too short amount of time. Right. But I was like, okay, we can get it done. You can do these things, but it's not ideal. Mm -hmm. They didn't know who they were in the space. They 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 knew what they were in the space, but they didn't think about what what their competitors were like, what editors were looking for, oh. some questions about who their investors are. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things that they had to think about other than just announcing funding. Well, I'm surprised they could they could compete in the space if they didn't know what the competition was like. Well, they, they they knew it, but like there's positioning against the competition, right? And they hadn't thought through that. They just thought about their own positioning, right? Um, right. Versus answering questions about what another competitor would do, uh -huh. because an editor would ask that, right? Oh, competitor X is also doing what you're doing. How are you different? Right. Why are you adding value on that? Yep. They weren't prepared for that, and there was a little bit of push and pull, and. Younger me would have been like, okay, let's just go and do what the client says. Mm -hmm. More mature me, <laughs> not older, more mature me. Right. Fashion seasoned professional was like, nope, not going to do it. You guys can go find somebody else to do it. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. And, and, and you, they, you had already paid your, your rent for that month, David, I guess. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah correct. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need the money. And, uh, and uh, I could always use the money. But uh, sure. they... They took the council and the launch was fantastic. It was exactly how I played it out. And in fact, one of the things they, they, they were pushing back on was like, we don't need to talk to an analyst because, you know, we have our product. I'm like, the media are going to want an analyst to validate this, some sort of third party somewhere because nobody knows who you are. And sure enough, a reporter was like, can I talk to an analyst? It's like, yeah, I got one for you. There you the go. client didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yep. Makes makes perfect sense. Paul, we want to wrap this up before we go? Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, James, let's talk about your books. I, you know, I love sure. your writing. Sure. You know, spelling bees and Ed Sullivan are far flung topics, mm -hmm. uh, especially away from tech. Mm -hmm. What's what's the common thread? What's uh, what binds these three things or nothing at all? Yeah, no. Well, there there are some things that bind them. I mean, in terms of the, the spelling bee book, uh, which I spent about three years following these young spellers around the country met with their families and they were, as, as they're getting ready for the big spell off of Washington, D.C., the big national spell off. It's been going on every year since 1925. You know, that is really all about American culture. I love American culture, the weird little groups and subgroups that, that make us all up. And the Ed Sullivan book was, was a similar portrait and that it is a portrait of America and that his show uh, ran between 1948 and 1971. It really was a, a, a view of America in those years, such an such a intimate view. So, so both books, while they, they appear unusual, are both very intimately about American culture and what's, what, what makes us tick as Americans. Uh, funny thing about the tech, the tech combination is that I was a freelance writer back when I wrote those two books, and I was freelancing for all sorts of outlets. And one of them was a tech outlet because, of course, tech has always been a lucrative thing to freelance for. And I didn't understand at the time about freelance writers and editors and that before I turned in copy, it was like I made sure it was absolutely flawless. And I would turn it in and they would sometimes mention like, yeah, we hardly even need to edit your work. 
And they finally hired me to be an editor because apparently I knew, knew how to edit copy because my own copy showed that. And now that I'm an editor, I realized, oh, not every word that every writer turns in is absolutely flawless and ready to go. Um, but I guess the, the three things that unite those disparate topics in my own world is, is writing. I love the English language. I love you know communicating with words. It's really interesting. I love the way it changes. Um, culture, society, language, trends. I love all that. Yeah, I, I want to check out those books, particularly the spelling bee one, uh -huh. uh, just because you're right. It's just such a fascinating thing that they do this thing in America. It's so it's, there's, there's so much tension. It's like a yeah. you know poor 11 year old kid who's, who's like practiced for hours and hours after school every day for the last year, and suddenly you know he or she steps on stage. The cameras are staring right at them, and they get some you know 18 syllable word that is like you know the name for a snake in you know Indonesia or something. And they have to somehow spell it. I mean, it, it's high drama, and I love it. You know, they, they either win or lose, but they're they're trying to rise to the occasion at any rate. It's really wonderful. Yeah, and to the and to the to the general public, the hoi polloi that watches that, they're everybody's minds blown, right? Because there's an 11 year old kid spelling something I've never even heard of right. before. Right. <laughs> like I didn't even know that combination of letters actually existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. James, nice. thank you for being on the show. Thank you for spending some time with us. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little about your publication. We'd love to have you here. Um, I will not have a coffee meeting with you in Oakland anytime soon. <laughs> good, good to know that. Good to know. And if I do, and, I'll bring a client, and their client's car can get broken into. That's smart. That's, that's <laughs> great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't bring your car. You know, rental cars always good. <laughs> Well, well, gentlemen, it it has been it has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great, and and to 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 both of you and and, and to our viewers and listeners, have a have a happy Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Bye bye.